I want to talk about verses that do not support the thesis a little bit. Uh, we're going to get to, uh, I know everybody loves the word thesis in the first uh, sentence of a sermon. Uh, but frequently, um, I encounter biblical discussions that do a strange thing with verses. I wouldn't say frequently. I, I, it's happened. Uh, not talking about distorting scriptures, because that's common. Uh, but there's, there's something that happens sometimes that people will use a verse improperly. And that's, you know, the discussion revolves around this, this context. And, uh, so the confusion in this verse is that, you know, like, like it, most of our discussions that we have, even when someone's using the verse wrong. The, the verse has something to do with the topic. This morning we were talking about predestination. Well, that's a discussion in the world because there's this word predestination in the Bible. Okay, so, so, so we have to figure out what that means. But sometimes um, what happens is, <clears throat> excuse me, there's a verse, what we call a protocol verse, or what I call a protocol verse, where I want to get to my opinion on something, uh, and, and there's actually a lack of scripture on the subject. And so I just pick a verse that kind of sounds like it's something to do with it, but it's not really. It just, it just lets me introduce my opinion. Uh, people do this, a similar thing on Facebook because they really want to get to their opinion, right? So, so they'll say, what do you think about X? You ever heard that? I don't answer those because right? I know it's just an excuse. They want you to comment on something. Why? So that they can share their opinion with you. That's really what they're interested in. But they don't want to just come out and say it. They, they kind of want you to, to invite the conversation. So they, they, they set you up. right? And this is kind of the way the Bible is used, where, where people will mention a verse. And we're going to look at one of those verses today, but not within that context, because it is valuable, but it's just talking about something completely different. Uh, and, and so... It, People will then use that verse and then launch into what they really want. And they will never really comment on the original verse. They'll never draw a connection to that original verse, to what they're talking about. They've just, they've just used that as a context to now share their opinion on whatever topic. And this is the verse we're going to look at today. <clears throat> read this many times. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, it's now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. And we used to have that right over here. I think one of these, one of these walls that used to be in. We worship uh, in, in spirit and in truth. And that's, that's, the, that's the one people jump off of. One of the, this is one of a number of verses that people do this with. And in the discussion, we're not really going to talk about this, uh, just except to, to explain how it's used and, and, and want to get to the way it should be used, which is going to be a completely different topic. Because we're going to begin a series on worship. And, and this is a verse that is sometimes used to launch into a discussion of something called acts of worship. I don't even like the phrase. Um, and it is used to then discuss a list of appropriate acts of worship. And that is exactly not the context. 
It's exactly not what this is talking. We're going to talk about what it's talking about. We're not going to talk about acts of worship. Uh, insofar as we will talk about, and this will be my personal rule, uh, insofar as we will talk about expressions of worship, that's what I'll refer to them as, um, and only as they illustrate concepts that we're trying to uh, to illustrate and, and, and discuss. But the actual the actual context of this is opposite of that. I say that I want to back this up. <clears throat> Excuse me, I had a frog in my throat today. Um, the the story here, uh, we know the story, the backstory, but we'll just kind of give it here. Jesus is is met the the woman at the well, and and he's told her her past. He's made her rather uncomfortable, in fact. And so what he does, or what she does, is to try to get away from, she does what we, we all in uncomfortable situations do. We try to pivot the conversation to something neutral. Theology is wonderfully cold. And, and it, it's exciting to, to it, makes, it makes, when God's getting personal, we can talk about theology. And, and it, it makes me feel better because I'm, I'm not feeling so, you know, focused on and analyzed. Jesus is really into analysis. And uh, we'll try to get through this. You don't have to clear your throat on my behalf. That'll do it for me. Um, And and so Jesus then explains to her. she, she, She goes into this discussion of worship. And she gets into the details of, and, and this, the, the, the physical aspects of worship and, and wants to talk about, in a sense, she wants to talk about acts of worship. That's what she wants to talk about. Where should we do it? What should it look like? How? Like, and Jesus said, Jesus gives her two principles. And he says, it's not about a list of what it looks like physically. That's not what worship is. It's not a list. It is two ideas. And these two ideas, first, the, at least, I mean, it's more than two ideas, but, but the two most fundamental principles of worship are listed here. We're going to talk about one of them today. We're going to talk about worship and truth. It is not about what. It's about how. Spirit and truth do not discuss the what of worship. Now, maybe the what is important at some point in time. But these discuss the how. And the how will explain the what, I think. And so I want to talk then about what worship and truth is. Well, to do that, we need to discuss about what truth is, I suppose. Uh, that's a big topic in and of itself. But we're just going to look at two things here to open. The truth is reality. It is what is. I know that that's kind of redundant, but that is the point. In Exodus thirty-four fourteen, he says, You shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, it's an interesting name, is a jealous God. So Jesus, or God is, is redundant here. He says, the Lord is jealous, that's his name. 
Right? He says, it is what is. That's what truth is. This is who I am. I'm not going to make myself nice for you. I am a jealous God. You want to be worshiping the right one. Now, God has more attributes than that, but that is one of his attributes. And he even calls himself by it. And so in worship, as we, as we worship, as we do whatever we think worship is, it has to reflect what is, what the reality is. If my worship, in any expression of my worship, is based on something that is not reality, it, it invalidates my worship. It doesn't make a difference how much spirit I do it with. It doesn't make how energetic, how exciting it was. If I worship incorrectly, he says, listen, you don't worship any other God. Those aren't real. Those are fake. And it will invalidate your worship. That's the first concept. We're zipping right through. The second thing, it is thought. And go back to our text in John 4, 22. He says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is of the Jews. And so he says, listen, Truth is thought. I, I heard this illustration. This is kind of a different topic, but I thought it illustrated it well. It was an evidence for the existence of God. And it, it works a little bit like this. It says, truth, where does truth reside? Truth resides in a mind, right? And, and, and beyond theology, any truth resides properly in a mind. It's information, right? Uh, our science, what is science? Science is equations, and it's, it's information, Right? And truth, facts, information, they, they have a home. And a home is in a mind, right? That, that's, that's true. It, when, when I die, unless I've communicated a thought, whatever thoughts I have, all that information in there, no valuable or invaluable information that I have, whatever those thoughts are, unless I've communicated, told somebody or wrote it down, whatever, it's dead, it's gone. Someone else is going to have to have those thoughts on their own. They're going to have to come to those thoughts independently. Why? Because truth, that information resides right there. And when my brain dies, it goes. Now, it's out there somewhere, I suppose. Right? And this is the, this is the indication for God. Well, it's always true. It's truth. It is. It exists. And so if, it doesn't, if truth doesn't go out of existence, there must be a mind somewhere that doesn't die. We call that mind God. That, that, that's kind of the illustration here of, of truth. It is information. It is, it is thought. And so science and, and gravity and, and all, these, all, these, all these different principles of our universe that are scientifically calculatable, they must have come from a mind that has always existed because that truth never goes out of existence, while many minds go out of existence, at least in, in, on this planet. But I want to bring this back to worship. Truth is thought. Truth properly exists in a mind. And God says, I want that mind to be used in worship. That is a, an essential part of who you are. And so expressions of worship must involve thoughts, not merely emotions. 
It's not just theories, though, that are important. Because, as I say, my, my, my theories are temporary. And they're often imperfect. My expressions, then, will only be valid if they come from that same permanent mind. The, the, the mind that created science and, and created all the things that exist. That mind created spiritual ideas. And unless my worship is involved in those spiritually perfect ideas, then my worship will be invalid. So I want to get to our point. I'm going to spend more time on our, our point than our setup. That's a, maybe a little bit different than usual. But I want to develop our relationship. That's what we want. We want to get closer. That's the idea of, of our series this year. And we're looking at different topics within that. And this is worship. And the first one is to know our audience. John 4.23 says, But the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers Worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And you probably heard this at some point. If you've ever, if you've ever communicated with a skeptic, they call themselves skeptics. It sounds much more intelligent, or you know, atheists. Uh, but but skeptic sounds really intelligent. Um, and you'll hear this thought: Why does God want worship? What kind of a God would you would is is God is so defensive? What kind of a God, you know, uh, is this narcissistic being that that feels like he has to have your worship and he just wants you to suck up and get you know? And and that to them is an evidence that that God can't, or at least the Christian God can't exist. Well. The fact remains that if God is a narcissistic God, then he's still a narcissistic God. He's still a God. So I would still need to worship him. It wouldn't make a difference what his character is. But that's not the right explanation. Worship is what draws us close to God. And this is why truth is significant. God doesn't, God doesn't want this for the purpose of his, what he needs. That's not why God is seeking such people to worship him. Because if, if he was just into narcissism, he wouldn't care about truth. He would just care about the emotion and the expression and how, how people love him. And, 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 and he wouldn't care about truth. But God is seeking such people, such people who will worship in spirit and in truth. God is a little bit more noble I cannot draw close to God if my idea of him is off. And what God wants is to be close to me. It's not out of narcissism that he wants this. It is out of love that he wants this. Because he knows that unless I worship him in truth, he can't be close to me. If I believe in a permissive God that allows everything through his grace, then my relationship is misguided. It is invalid. If I believe in a vindictive, arbitrary God who lives to burn his worshipers at any moment into little cinders, then my idea of him is off, and I am therefore invalid. 
My idea of God is vital to my worship. So I want to look at not just knowing my audience. That's where it begins. That's where truth begins, is in knowing my audience. I, I need to know who it is that I'm worshiping. But I also need to engage my analysis a little bit. So, 1 Corinthians 14, 15 says, What am I going to do? I'm going to pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind. Some say understanding, right? Same idea. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing with my mind. These are expressions. But the point here is not on the expressions itself. That's not where Paul is focusing on. Paul is focusing on the how of the expressions, not the list of the expressions. Do you see that? That it's in the mind. It's, it's, it's in the, the energy, but in the mind. That it is founded, that it gets its relevance. So I'm going to say some things that are a little pointed here. I've edited some of them out. I want to preface these by saying I have a poor memory. So I'm not singling you out. Last, last week in class, in last week, maybe the week before, you noticed I skipped around a lot and having verses because we had an infusion of McNutts in the, in the room. And that's the only name I knew. And, and so I couldn't remember people's names. I'm like, I don't know you. I'm not going to call on you. So that's going to be really embarrassing. So we kind of skipped around. I have a poor memory. So. I'm not singling anybody out, because I don't remember. But some of these occur here. And some of these I've grown up with. So, because of that, I'm going to lighten the mood a little bit. I'm going to let Clint Eastwood uh, open this discussion up, and we'll get pointed here if this works. Gonna work? Nope. That's not gonna work. Is there a video in there? There is no video in there. Oh, that's too bad. You missed the treat. I'll have to slip that in somewhere else. Ah, uh, that was that was a good video. I don't know how that did not embed. Oh well. Some of you are like it's close. It was uh it was a video. You can find it here. Tell you what, you can do your homework. Go on YouTube and uh, find a video. Not right now. <laughs> you got to be specific. Um, it's called Clint, Clint Eastwood reads uh, uh, praise song lyrics. It's very funny. It's just a it's just a guy impersonating his voice uh, with a little uh, animation, and it, it makes a, a it makes a good point. Uh, it would have lightened the mood, but we'll dive in. Um, But he was, he was focusing on reading some of the praise songs, uh, lyrics, and, and, and kind of how vapid they are. Uh, some of them, you know, get through and have never mentioned God or mentioned anything of substance whatsoever in, in three or four minutes. And people will say, well, it's, it's so much better, you know, for the mind that we have the hymns. And we sing about zephyrs. 
and Ebenezer's and Eben Pinions, which sounds a lot like Rack and Pinion. I don't know. I actually looked that one up. And I'm telling you now that I know the definition of an Eben Pinion. It makes that song even more confusing to me. Because a pinion is a joint of a bird's wing that is relatively the same as your wrist. And I don't know what a knight with a bird's wrist is. Just going to tell you that. It's like, really, I don't know what that means. But he says, our mind is to be engaged. Is our mind engaged? Worse than that are the songs that we sing that support theologically incorrect. I'm not talking about, you know, there are things like, okay, that's for poetical purposes. That's not what I'm talking about. Yesterday we mentioned that we were at a, uh, a church meeting. Here's a song, you'll recognize it immediately, that I sung. I've sung this I do not know how many hundreds or thousands of times in the 50 years of being raised in the church. Let me read the first stanza. You'll, you, this is one of those, you can't read it without singing it. I'm not going to sing my sermon. Those who were there yesterday will understand what I mean. Uh, let's see. I once was lost in sin, but Jesus took me in. And then, a little light from heaven filled my soul. It bathed my heart in love. So good. So far, so good, right? It bathed my heart in love and wrote my name above. And just a little talk with Jesus made me whole. That's a lie. I have sung... For 50 years, not all 50, because I couldn't talk when I was born. But you get the idea. A lie. And you can't sugarcoat that one. And the words were out. I mean, my, my ink wasn't even dry on my computer screen before. I'm sitting here singing this song, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to have to change my sermon notes. This is exactly what I'm talking about. This is horrific doctrine. And it's been in my sacred selections, the inspired songbook that I grew up with. I will sing with the spirit, but I will sing with the mind. Paul says. And this is not the only one. We have songs about us being worms. Jesus didn't die for a worm. Sorry. He died for people who were made in his image. Talked about this this morning. Sinners, yes. What about a different expression of our 
worship. What about prayer? Romans 8 says we don't always know how to pray as we ought, right? That doesn't mean we shouldn't try. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to understand things when we pray. Like, I'm just going to throw stuff out there, God. Because Paul says, I will pray with the understanding also. I'm going to do my best to understand. I don't always come through. Paul says that too. I don't, I don't always get there. But I at least should have an effort to pray with the understanding. How often do we hear on Sunday morning, a little bit about 40 minutes ago, Let's open worship with prayer. Have we heard that one? Again, if it's you, I don't know. I can't remember. What was the first song? Was that just a trial run? Because we just sung a, sung a song before that prayer. Did that not count? What about the fellowship? What about Christian fellowship that existed before while we were walking in the room? Did that count? What about in the morning when we were discussing doctrine? And when the kids were... were they're probably singing songs downstairs. I don't know. Whatever they do in their classes, they were learning about Christ. Was that worship? We're just now getting to the worship. What are we praying? What am I saying to God? Nine to nine forty did not count God. I had to ask, Mark's not here today, I had to ask him for this photo. A few, uh, a month or two ago, we sent our knives to Mark to be sharpened. He did that with a grape on the knives that we gave him. He sent the photo. My knives were functioning, I thought. They were functioning until he sliced the grape that I could see through. We get used to anything, worship, whatever. We, we get used to it, and it functions. And, and we think it's okay because it's functioning. God says, I've got something better for you. I'm going to make it a lot better. I, I have... The point is not to do what is okay and what is acceptable. The idea is to get closer, to do better, <clears throat> to have a closer relationship and all the things that go with it. I say sharpen our senses. A lot of times I say you in these. That is just because it's a natural way of talking to other people. Then I had to edit that because yesterday... I am in dire need of this myself. We are all in dire need of sharpening our senses. We, we get into those ruts that I talked about. Because we live on reflex sometimes, and we do things, and we know what's coming next, and it's 9 o'clock, and this is going to happen, and it's 9.15, and we've got one more song, and we've got this, and there's so many songs that go in before, and 
we're, we're so into a, a, it just becomes customary. And I've opened this song and we've sung this song and I can sing it with my eyes shut. And I don't even know, need, just, and it comes out because I've sung it hundreds of times. And then one time I, what was that? That just came out of my mouth. That's, that's stupefying that something that horrific could have come out of my mouth. I'm really disappointed in myself. I mean, I'm not disappointed that, you know, I was 12 years old and might have sung that. That's natural. But I'm 50 years old and I've been to Bible college. I should know better. Right? i got to sharpen my senses. Mark improved what was already functioning. So I'm not saying our worship is worthless. It's functioning. We can just do better. You individually can be closer. But it's going to be worship and truth that gets you there. The more aware I am of things, the purer my worship will be. The closer I will be to God. And so as you read scriptures... Listen for God's descriptions of himself, for example. Like, I'm a jealous of God. Like, well, I didn't know that was in there. I mean, I knew that was in there. I, 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 I kind of forgot the part where he said, that's my name, by the way. Wow. I, I didn't really think of that that way. Listen for God's descriptions of himself and, and, and the things that surround his worship of him, what he likes and dislikes. Because as you are more and more aware of those things, then it will affect what happens. You read that outside, it affects what happens in here. And so singing and praying, any other expression of worship that we may have, right, we will get trained to pay attention to those things because we're not in a rut. I'm training, I'm honing my senses, and I'm, like, there's a, when I sing a, a song now, I'm paying attention to it, because it's just training. <clears throat> and this is the key. That when I leave here, my life will be more indicative of a life of worship. It will be something that people see. Why? Because my senses are trained, and it, and it is going to come out in the lifestyle choices that I make because now my life is not a reflex. I'm training. It begins. It doesn't end, but it begins in my mind. It begins with the thought. It begins with reality that is now a part of my worship, that my worship is focused on. And that is what people will see outside of these walls, and it all comes from worship and truth. Please stand and sing. <clears throat> There's a great day coming.